today the state of the art is you have some text, you store it in a database, and then you call out to a large language model, OpenAI's ChatGPT, it will send you back an embedding, which is a, an array of flows that represent that data. And you then push that into your, your vector database or vector search engine, which then takes that vector and indexes it into HNSW, which you just mentioned. So the kind of loop is, if you have text in your database, which most of us do, you send it off to ChatGPT, you get like their token, you call their API, you insert that data to write, just right next to your your text in your, in your collection. MongoDB is great for this because it's a document model. You can pretty much stick it anywhere. Then vector search, you just have an index. And the, what the index just does is it tells us where to look for those vectors. Hey everybody, this is Doug Tarr. I'm Vice President of Engineering at MongoDB. And this is the MongoDB podcast. Welcome, Doug. It's great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, doing good. Fantastic. So today, I'm really delighted to have you on the show. We've been talking about doing this episode for quite some time. And we're going to focus on some of the technologies that fall into your responsibilities at MongoDB. But for the listeners that may not know, introduce yourself. Let folks know who you are and what you do. I am VP of Engineering at MongoDB, responsible for Atlas Search and now Vector Search. And so what that means is I manage multiple teams who are building the Atlas Search and Vector Search uh, products here. Um, we've been building Atlas Search for about four and a half years now. Um, and we have three teams. One team is responsible for our query engine. One team does distributed systems. And one team does our web platform and developer experience. Mm. Yeah. So talk a little bit about Search. Why is Search separate from the database? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, MongoDB itself is you know, such a core database company. Everybody sort of sees the world through the database, and frankly, our customers do too. Search is so closely connected to what people see as a database that they don't often even understand how it's different. But you could probably describe it as the difference between having to recall all of your query results and just finding the best ones. So when you run a database query, if you don't get all the results back, it's usually considered a big problem, an error, we throw an exception, and customers are, are upset, and it doesn't do what you want. Whereas with search, what you're really trying to do is provide the most relevant results for people, and you're trying to do it quickly. So if you think of any search engine you've used, Google, whatnot, they don't give you every result. There's no way you can actually search through all that stuff. What you do is you look at the top results, and you make sure that those results are relevant to you. And so that's really the kind of core fundamental difference. Everything else about the technology, the architecture, and the infrastructure kind of flows from there. Mm -hmm. And the functionality of, of searching a database is found in MongoDB's query language. So folks will know that as part of the MongoDB query language, we have operators like find and find one, find many. Where does, where does uh, the conventional find capability and search begin to differentiate? Yeah. So most people, when they're building an application, that's how they start. They have find, they, they insert, they, they have like a table of results. Where search comes in is when you usually start with a natural language query. So you might just type into a search box, for example. And if you tried to do that with find, you would probably not get very good results. You basically would get the exact match or something like it, or just kind of like a very simple kind of pattern match. But that's really not what people want. They expect you to understand the language and the grammar 
associated with that query and break it up and then build a much more sophisticated a sophisticated query that lets you rank those results kind of according to your your application's needs. Yeah, I think that's the key. And I think a lot of people start down that path with find and then end up trying to implement on the front end, maybe a regular expression or or some type of way to expand, you know, just searching for the specific text that the user of the application is is trying to find. So you mentioned it's Atlas search, and that's the search product that can be found in the MongoDB Atlas platform, which is our cloud database service. Talk a little bit about the functionality of Atlas search and how it's differentiated from the database. Yeah, so when we started building Atlas search, we looked at a lot of technologies to kind of figure out where to start. And we settled on Apache Lucene as the core library that powers it. And so it's if you start from there, you realize like now you've got this entire other system. MongoDB as a database, it's written in C++. It's kind of a monolithic code base. There are different, definitely kind of different components to it, but you know, it's all the same. You compile it, compile out all the, the same binaries. Whereas Atlas search is like a different system altogether. Apache Lucene runs on Java. So we created an entirely se separate process to run that. And part of the reason it's an Atlas is because managing multiple systems together is really difficult. And so one of the reasons people like Atlas is we do that for them and mm -hmm. take care of a lot of the details. So at its core, what Atlas Search is, is a Java process, we call it MongoT, uh, that runs next to database process, your MongoD and your MongoS. And those two are tightly integrated at multiple levels in the query layer, in the uh, networking layer, all throughout the system to kind of provide an integrated experience. Yeah, and I think that's the key, like reducing the management overhead uh, for the developer, for, for the person running the service. So I suppose you could set up your own Lucene instance and then manage the, the indexing and sharing of the information between the database and the, the Lucene, but that's all done for you in Atlas Search, right? Yeah. In fact, that is before Atlas Search came around, I think that that is the way people did it. They had their own search engine and there are lots of, lots of options in the market, uh, mm -hmm. but really where we see our kind of one of our core differentiators is being able to um, be super integrated and have a great a great experience for a MongoDB developer. Yeah, yeah. And no transferring of data, no ETLs. It all happens behind the scene with a nice management interface built right into the uh, into the administrative GUI for uh, for Atlas. So why Lucene? I've been in this industry for, I don't know, even know, 25 years or so. And Lucene came out in like the early 2000s and has really been the sort of most rock solid market tested solution out there. And it, and a lot of people kind of look at Java and they're like, oh, it can't be fast. It's Java. But there's, there's so much work that the open source community around Lucene has developed that is really, it is really competitive with any solution. It doesn't matter if it's written in Java, C++, Rust, what have you. Lucene is really competitive, offers a lot of features, and really gave us a boost out of the right out of the the gates in terms of being able to offer a competitive solution for people running their production applications. Yeah, it's sort of the standard, the the best search standard in the open source community. And I think one of the great things that that I like about our investment in and and use of Lucene is that we're 
we're helping Lucene to continue to be viable, right? We're, we're helping the project continue to exist. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we have a big team of engineers who are working on on, on MongoT and Lucene. You know, fortunately for us, like you come into a library that's been around for this long. The, the kinds of improvements you need to make to it to make it work for you are pretty specialized. So for us, we've been able to just really kind of leverage it and use a lot of those features, but we're really excited about the future of Lucene and we're excited to contribute more to it as we kind of move more into areas of Lucene that are less mature. So like we can just kind of, like anybody can build on Lucene today. I think, it, you know, you, you can learn it, you can build it and you can build a pretty fast, reliable search engine. But once you've started to move into really kind of deep areas where people are really pressure testing it, that's when I think we can provide value because a lot of our customers are doing a lot of really interesting things with, with Atlas Search. Until you see those things, until you kind of hit the limits of what a product can do, you're just going to kind of kind of use it as an engineer. Why would you, why would you do more? Um, hmm. But now that we have a lot of kind of talented engineers who are really familiar with it, yeah, I, I definitely see us <clears throat> contributing more back. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I want to talk about that team of engineers. This is a, it's an interesting time where we're continuing to grow. And one of the things that's, that's great is that you're adding to your team. Um, can you talk a little bit about what specific talents you look for in an engineer? Yeah, it's a good question. We actually have, I think, about seven roles open on our team. So we've been growing wow. very rapidly, just a lot of demand for the product and a lot of of interest in helping us improve it. We have sort of two main categories of engineers, but as we've been specializing, it's kind of growing. But really we look for people with a distributed systems background who can uh, have a kind of good systems engineering background, can diagnose performance issues and just really good, strong engineers. We don't necessarily care if you've used Lucene. You know, we figure most of that stuff, you go to a new job, you learn whatever kind of platform. So. We don't care that you've learned it. What we look for are just kind of core fundamentals that make a good backend engineer. So that's for the systems and the query team. And for the web platform team, which is a really interesting team that we just started about a year year ago, it's a, just a, it's a very different persona, but it does require a lot of knowledge of that same skill set. But these are people who have more of an empathy for a developer, who are familiar mm -hmm. with what's in the market, and can propose interesting ways for people to help developers just really learn how to use our product. And so they tend to be people from a developer experience kind of background who can help, who can help users kind of do what they need. Yeah. Are there specific, uh, frameworks, languages, skill sets that you're, you're looking for? I mean, we do use Java for, for a lot of. MongoDB, Atlas in general, uses a lot of Java. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's nice to have, though. I don't, like, we never, during an interview, like, you've never, if you didn't know Java, you didn't know any of our programming languages, it's fine. Um, yeah. uh, so we do look for people who understand databases. I think that's mm -hmm. important. We're a database company at our core still. Mm -hmm. And we are, the Atlas Search team actually works very closely with the core server teams to kind of develop new features. So... You do have to understand databases, data structures, just the kind of core fundamentals there. And then the other thing that I always look for, and it's really not a programming skill set, but we really look for people who are good communicators. MongoDB is a big company at this point. 
uh, we we do a lot of planning, a lot of designing, and you might have a great idea, but if you cannot communicate that idea clearly and respond to feedback, that makes it very difficult to be successful building at the scale we're trying to do here. So we look for people who are just kind of clear communicators, good listeners, that kind of thing. Do you find that challenging to find someone with a good mix of communication skills, highly communicative and analytical and a good engineer? Yes. <laughs> I do think that we, we've been very successful at hiring. I'm very excited by the team we've built. And you don't need to have everything perfect to, to join the team. I think, mm -hmm. I do think like we have a lot of con, kind of complex technology decisions to make. So we do look for people who can catch up pretty quickly and seem like they have a good ability to learn. And yeah, communication, I think that's a skill that engineers don't think about mm -hmm. when they, like, I don't even know. I wasn't a computer science major, actually. I was a math major when I was in college, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I haven't seen too much like communications training going on in the industry. And it tends to just be mm -hmm. something people learn or know or adopt themselves. Um, yeah. So. so you've got an interesting background. I've, I've checked out your blog and, and some of your background. How did you end up at MongoDB? Before MongoDB, I was at a company called MLab. MLab was actually a competitor to Atlas. And I was there for about a year as VP of engineering. We had a lot of really interesting customers and who were pushing our limits. And about a year after I joined, MongoDB acquired MLab and that's how we, we came in. Um, and so most of MLab was engineers. We had a couple other folks, but the MLab team kind of went into various orgs within MongoDB and it was a great cultural fit for us and for MongoDB. And I really think most of the team that was acquired four and a half years ago, still, still at MongoDB today. So mm -hmm. it was a great, great experience for, for all of us to be involved in that. And so when I joined, basically what happened was our CTO at the time was like, Hey, we have this new, this new product we'd like to build. And I had a background in, in, in search. So it really worked out. Elliot, who was our CTO, just kind of asked me, Elliot and Kaylin and a few other folks mm -hmm. in that were our um, leadership team asked me to build a small team to build a beta of, of Atlas search. And we had, we had to get it sort of shipped in nine months to get to the next MongoDB world. And, and so that was our kind of initial introduction to MongoDB, mm -hmm. but everything worked out from there. So that's kind of how <laughs> we got to MongoDB side of things. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then prior to MLab. Prior to MLab, there's a definitely a few years back there. Before MLab, I was actually uh, running running a program for kids, teaching them to code. Uh, oh, wow. And so th the kind of context there was I actually have been involved in startups my whole life. And I had a previous startup that I was involved in that got acquired in the early 2010s. And I had some time to figure out what I wanted to do. I have two, I had two kids, two small kids at the time and who really loved coding. And this was like around 2013 or 14. I, like back then, like learning to code was like the hottest thing. Like Barack Obama was talking about it. It was everybody's mm -hmm. talking about it. And so my kids really wanted to learn to code. And, and so I just grabbed a few of them and we started teaching them to code around like our dining room table. And everyone heard about it and it sort of blew up. Uh, <laughs> no, I was not expecting to do this. It was really just a thing I wanted to do 
to teach my kids and everybody else's mm-hmm. kids apparently wanted the same thing, but it kept going and I kept growing it. And I spent about 2013 to 2019 doing that and kind of built a program for teaching kids to code. And yeah. That's phenomenal. I, I love the focus on that, on, on STEM in general. What languages did you teach the kids? Yeah. So we started with like little kids. They were like six, seven years old. And so we mm. would use Scratch, which is a yeah. visual programming language developed mm-hmm. by MIT, which is a yep. fantastic language. If you have little kids, highly <laughs> recommend Scratch. It's still, it still holds the test of time. Like, I don't know, yeah. 10, 15 years later when it was developed, it's just a great tool for yeah. kids to learn about it. So we'd start them there. And as they grew, Minecraft was really big. So we'd teach them to make Minecraft plugins, which honestly was hilarious because it was in Java. And so we were teaching <laughs> these kids who were like 10 years old how to, how to use Java. I loved it so much. They didn't care how hard or weird it was for them to learn. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I love about Scratch, my nephews used it uh, extensively early on. And they wrote some really amazing things in it. Uh, it's a good mix between visual. You can wade in using the the visual drag and drop tools, but during the process of that, you start to understand logic flow. That's a really key part of of learning to code. Uh, so yep. that's great. That that's awesome. I love that you did that. So let's go back to the search topic. And search is kind of an umbrella at at MongoDB. It's a, a lot of things, and one of the newest and most exciting facets in that under that umbrella is vector search. For the folks listening that may not understand what vector search is, can you give a, an overview? It's a new topic and we're all learning right now, but sort of modeling language is a really difficult computer science task. And so language is just a very complex thing. If you try to like make the rules for what English, the English, how the English language works, you would find it to be frankly impossible because there are no rules. And it's mostly a bunch of patterns. And so for years, the way that people modeled those patterns was they write these little, these little rules. They'd say like, here's what a plural in English looks like. Here's words Mm -hmm. that, that are prepositions and they don't matter that much. And so you'd make a bunch of rules. And so Lucene itself was like a conglomeration of the, the knowledge of these rules over, over decades. But machine learning was just a completely different way to go into that and learn how to model the English language. And so we've come up with this concept that. I'm sure everyone's heard of called large language models. And what those do is they map the language into a vector space. And what I mean by vector space is a n-dimensional space. So if you think of like a graph, right? Like a two-dimensional graph with an X, an X and a Y axis, and you just start putting words next to each other on the graph. That's what vectors are. So if you have, if you were playing like a party game and we I just I just put the word dog. And, I'm, and I asked you, I said, Michael, what word should you put next to the word dog? You might say what? Leash. Leash. Right. You might say leash. You might say, you might say something else. You might say hot, like hot dog. But they're all words and they kind of like cluster around each other. And mm-hmm. you can't really quite explain why they cluster around each other, but you know that they do, right? You know that the word leash is near the word dog <laughs> in your mm-hmm. mind. And so what large language models have done is they figured out a way mathematically to create those clusters. And so they take these words and they turn them into numbers and they create these coordinate systems and they put things that are near each other in this space. And so once you have that, once you have this kind of mapping of language into 
into mathematical space, you can just find stuff that's near each other. And that's what vector search does, is it finds stuff that's near other stuff. And so you have to go back to your math class, how you would, if you had two points on a graph, mm -hmm. how do you find the distance between those two things? Turns out the math for that in an n-dimensional space is about the same, same as a two-dimensional space. So if you did your geometry or your algebra class, you could have done it for vector space. And essentially you get this function, this distance, and it says dog is pretty close to leash, but it's far from computer. And vector search gives you the word dog and says, find me all the stuff near dog. And it creates a new data structure that allows you to do that. It's a fascinating technology. So it's all about proximity. It has me thinking about the, the limits of large language models. And I mean, how static are these mappings? Do they change? They do. <laughs> they change probably. The, the most kind of known large language model is, is OpenAI's chat GPT model. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're changing it all the time. But, you know, like, yes, these vectors can move around. There's no mm -hmm. doubt they can move around. Uh, and I think it's kind of up to people to understand how they move. Mm -hmm. If you use the same model, it's not going to change. It, there is a kind of deterministic nature to it. But mm -hmm. people are constantly improving those things and coming up with new techniques to make things more accurate. It may turn out that your model is making some mistakes and you might want to tune it to be more accurate for your use case. And then all of a sudden, all of your vectors are in different spots. Mm. So I may be going down a rabbit hole, but I'm curious. There are several functions that you think about in a vector database, and you've described one really well, and that's proximity between words, nearness of words. And if I had said, I don't know, the bounty hunter, the distance between dog and leash and the distance between dog and the bounty hunter may be actually very close, but they're in different clusters. So there's, there's locating the distance between them to determine context, but then the use of vector search for an application has this other feature where now the, the response, the engine needs to come back with a response. So if I'm asking a question about a dog and a leash, there's determination of the context and then there's a response. Is, is that using the same technology? Yeah, it's a good question. These sort of two components in the system, there's a large language model whose job it is to create these vectors, also called embeddings. And then there's the vector search engine, which is a different system. It takes those embeddings and it stores them in a data structure. And it uses an algorithm generally called nearest neighbor search. And like you're saying, they're the data is kind of clustered. Most people don't do an exact search because it's too expensive. It takes too long. If you have millions of data points, you would basically have to scan them all, figure out the distance between your query and every single term, sort them, and then return the top end results. That's just not going to be feasible. Mm -hmm. The library we're using, Lucene, uses an algorithm called HNSW, and it does this kind of clustering algorithm as you've described, and it's an approximate solution. So if, it, if the data isn't in the kind of cluster you've looked at, then you won't return it. So most vector search isn't going to be exact like other search. It's it's not exact, but it's not exact in a very different way than than classic Lucene is. But you can there's some knobs you can do to control how far you look. But yeah, that is definitely like 
one of the core considerations when you're building a vector search solution is how much of the space do you look at and how much of recall versus latency are you willing mm. to trade to, to get those results? Yeah, that performance trade-off. I want to talk a little bit about how vector search can be used by developers. You know, we're all familiar with ChatGPT, and that's mm -hmm. an implementation of, of vector search and a large language model. Why does MongoDB have vector search and what can developers do with it? We think that vector search is both a core search capability for people kind of doing normal language kind of application search, but it also enables these new application types like, like a chat uh, function. And so I'll talk about both. The, <laughs> sort of the, the core search function is today you go type in a search box, you type dog leash, and you want to see a list of the dog leashes that you're selling. And, and so we do, we try and find similar ones. And so I think that maps pretty similar to the stuff I was talking about earlier is if you just map those words, you would just find things that were similar and you do it in a way that is actually more intuitive because with classic search, you have to do all the mappings yourself. So if there was a kind of like a brand name or something that didn't really map to the, to the actual words, you would actually have to create like a, like a synonym, synonym. table, or mm -hmm. you'd have to like write the query in such a way that it looked for all of these terms and kind of like it sort of brought in a lot of metadata to help you do that, which is a very time consuming mm -hmm. process. And frankly, it's people's jobs to do that these days. Whereas vector search, it just learns it from the language. So it just like reads enormous amounts of data and it could, it, it will see those brands and it will be like, oh, that's related. That's a dog brand, you know, pets.com is a dog brand. So like I it could see them. And so you don't actually have to do that mapping yourself and it'll return it. And so on the, on the positive side, you get a lot of that stuff for free. So when you use vector search and you kind of put it in there, you'll get a bunch of like brand stuff or kind of interesting stuff that you don't have to work on. On the negative side, maybe there's some of the stuff that you didn't want in there because it's just looking for things that find similar to leash and or dog, like hot dog is similar to dog, you know, mm. so maybe you would find sausage and that is not what I want to find. That's the part I think that for a classic search, that's one of the big challenges is how do you, how do you kind of tune it like that? Mm. Um, the other kind of new emerging technology is our, 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 our chat based solutions. Um, and that's like what you see when you get to chat GPT or, or other kind of solutions where you're asking questions and trying to get answers. And as we all know from using chat GPT or whatnot, the large language models aren't particularly good with truth. They'll just make things up because they just see, they see these kind of relationships and things that are near each other. And they're like, well, that's what you trained me to do. So that's what mm -hmm. I see. And so if you want truth, the, the state of the art solution is to store the truth in a database and use vector search to map into that. So mm -hmm. let's say you were trying to find some you know, like an airplane reservation and you wanted to use a chat application to do that. If you just went to chat GPT, it would just like make up a reservation for you. It doesn't <laughs> care. Whereas if what you want to do is you want to ask, ask a large language model for some embeddings that kind of point you into your vector database. And then mm -hmm. you're like, oh, you're looking for flights from San Francisco to Newark these days. And it will give you it in a structured way. And then you go actually go look into your kind of application to find the results. And then you send it back out through the large language model. Mm. Great. So it's really about a custom implementation that can be very specific to your use case, right? It's about a custom implementation and it's about 
distinguishing the truth. You use vector search as a way to combat large language models hallucinating. Mm -hmm. This all falls under the Atlas search umbrella and vector search surfaces through the Atlas admin interface. Is that correct? Yeah, so we're in a, a preview right now where it's actually part of search. And I think that was something we, we delivered to get stuff into people's hands to, to use. But what our goal is to make vector search to be feel like a natural part of MongoDB itself. The implementation of it today is, is sort of part of dollar search, but really our goal is to make it just part of MongoDB and feel like a natural thing you use in your database. Mm-hmm. And vector search is a part of your team. So we talked earlier about uh, recruiting and, and finding folks that are interested in working on state-of-the-art projects. Are there specific requirements that you have for somebody joining that part of the team? We are recruiting engineers who will work on both things today. The way I tend to work is until something gets completely specialized, you, you have a lot of shared infrastructure. And we definitely would love people who kind of have an understanding of of large language models and an interest in machine learning, because I do think people will be asking us for help understanding relevance and how to tune these things and how to build mm -hmm, mm -hmm. applications. So that is a new area that I think we will be looking for. We're looking for people who are curious, who can understand. If I told you, hey, you need to understand HNSW, here's a new, mm -hmm. completely new algorithm. And are you willing to do that? Can you can you kind of go, go learn learn about that? And can you build application, build solutions on top of that? That's the kind of person we'd be looking for. Mm -hmm. So people who are open to new ideas. A search background is helpful, but not required. Mm -hmm. And our systems are for people are building production and applications on top of Atlas Search and MongoDB. And we take that very seriously. And we look for people who are comfortable building those kind of platforms where any kind of outage or problem is, is considered a, re a really difficult thing. And we try and avoid that by, by planning and analyzing a lot. So th mm. that's the shape of the person we're looking for. Yeah. So it's a fascinating space. And I love that this is all coming together in the Atlas platform. What does the architecture look like that vector search is in? Vector search, you know, is, is really a feature of a database. It kind of integrates with the rest of, of what you're doing in your database and and so in that sense, it's very similar to search and we've built vector search on top of the same platform we built search on, which is Lucene. And, and so we are able to leverage a lot of the same kind of infrastructure we're built. We've built to, to do that because a lot of the problems are the same. And when you think about search, one of the kind of thing, both, both vector and kind of classic search, one of the core areas that's really important for people is that it needs to be really fast. And like I'd mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, databases need to be correct. And so they're not willing to make some compromises about consistency, whereas search engines often usually do. In terms of how both search and vector search work, we listen on what's at MongoDB is called the change stream, but it's really, it's like a change data capture solution for MongoDB, where when you write, or when you write data to your database, we have a stream that you can consume that lets you follow updates. And so that's how we keep vector search and search up to date is we, we sort of follow this change stream and which seems like a very simple thing to do. But if you think about all the edge cases, oh, what if it stops working? What if you miss data? 
What if you get too far behind? All of those things are really interesting problems that our teams work on. Other problems that we work on are like, how do you map data that looks one way in MongoDB into data that is in a completely different system in Lucene? This is stuff that if you were trying to build your own search engine or even use an off-the-shelf solution, you have to do yourself. And so we do it for you. And what that means is it starts to look, it looks the same. Like when you use data in search or vector search, it will look the same as, as, as the rest of the data in your database. And so some of the interesting things about using vector search is the solution today, HNSW, which is like the sort of standard solution. There are other solutions that make different trade-offs is a very memory intensive process. Basically what you're doing is you're loading this giant graph into memory and you're searching it. And if you have to go to disk, you've lost because as we all know, going to disk is a very expensive process. So in order to do HNSW well, you need to keep stuff in memory. And then that leads to, well, what if your data set's too big for keeping into memory? How do you partition that data? So what our team does is figure out those things and how do your partitions work with the partitions you've done to your core database? And so a lot of what we're doing is building the infrastructure that lets people not have to think about any of this. You could just turn on a vector search index and we will manage that infrastructure for you and make sure that you do have enough memory, enough capacity, enough resources to uh, run those those queries. Mm. Hierarchical, navigable, small worlds, HNSW. So if somebody is thinking about leveraging vector search in MongoDB, what type of setup is going to be required? You can turn on a vector index, and then what happens after that? What are, what are they going to need to do to continue to set up vector search? Yeah, so one of like the I think over the last few months this has been evolving pretty rapidly, but today the state of the art is you have some text you store it in a database, and then you call out to a large language model, OpenAI's ChatGPT. It will send you back an embedding, which is a an array of floats that represent that data. And you then push that into your, your vector database or vector search engine, which then takes that vector and indexes it into HNSW, which you just mentioned. So the kind of loop is you have some, if you have text in your database, which most of us do, you send it off to ChatGPT, you get like their token, you call their API, you insert that data to right, just right next to your your text in your in your collection, MongoDB is great for this because it's a document model. You can pretty much stick it anywhere. And then vector search, you just have an index. And the, what the index just does is it tells us where to look for those vectors. Um, and so today you have to tell us, you say, oh, this field called title embeddings is the one I want you to index. And then you, you maybe make a few options on there and we will index it and tell you when it's ready. And at that point, you've got a working vector index. And then the next step for you is, well, how do I how do I use this thing? How do I how do I query it? Right. And so to query it, someone might put in text either to a chat solution or into a search box. You do the same thing. You call back to your large language model, your API for ChatGPT, gives you another embedding, and you say find me, and then you run a, 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 today you run a KNN beta query and that will take that vector 
and it will give you back the top K results that match that vector. And it will give you the, the documents back and you then use those in your application. So this sounds a lot like latitude and longitude, uh, spherical, uh, I mean, where the truth is geometry. And now you're introducing language, which is n dimensions more complex. Yeah. Is that, is so that a fair a great, One of the ways people used to try and do this was, so if you have a geo index, which both MongoDB supports and search supports in slightly different ways, there are ways to store that data that's efficient, but they're all optimized for two or maybe three dimensions. And so if you want to find the distance between uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles, you can use one of these search solutions, one of these geo solutions to do that. And, but it only works up to two or three solutions. All the algorithms are super optimized. Whereas this is like N dimensions. So it's hard to think about N dimensions, but it's the same idea, uh, yeah. just a slightly different algorithm. Well, Doug, thanks so much for joining me today. You've, you've enlightened me in vector search and uh, in so many ways, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I want to end with a couple of interesting questions. So if you could invent any piece of technology, no matter how unrealistic it is, what would it be? <laughs> I was thinking about this last weekend um, because it's actually, I don't feel like it's that far off from where we are today. I'm very in, intrigued with large language models, machine learning, all the kind of technologies around there, like stable diffusion, whatnot. And to me, like I think about this idea that you could create your own, your own stories, your own movies, your own everything. And it's all customized to you. And I think I really want that to exist because I feel like today we're getting other people's ideas for the future and for being creative. And I think the great thing to me about all this kind of technology is it really enables like a new kind of creativity for people. And so I want to be able to go to Netflix and just be like, tell me a story about my English lab, Hazel and her, and she wants to go get a bone and it like makes a movie for me about my dog and we, we watch her. I would love that. So. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. I'd love to see that come to fruition. All right. So if you, let's say you could switch jobs with anybody, any person. What job would it be? And, and maybe even who would yeah. you switch jobs with? Yeah, this is a little weird and specific, but during COVID, I was like, got really into, before I was into machine learning, I was like really into 3D modeling. And frankly, from my time teaching kids to code, I was like kind of into game development as like a, a little bit of a hobby. And I really love 3D design and modeling. And I've noticed these, and this kind of goes back to the first question in a way. Like I've noticed there's a lot of artists who, use like they take art and then they use machine learning and then they take this kind of like 3d like something you would use to make a marvel movie almost and they combine them and there's this guy when i was actually in new york at the mongodb headquarters i stopped by moma and this guy his name's rafik anadol and he's this artist out of la and he makes these kind of generative art generative sculptures and it's all based on machine learning but it, he like took every kind of piece of art in the MoMA and he like combined it in a, in a model and he like made this beautiful art piece that took up an entire wall. And so I just feel like that's an amazing thing. It kind of combines mm. technology, coding, art, creativity. That would just be like a dream for me. Oh, I love that. I love that. Are, are you artistic? Do you create <laughs> art? I am terrible at it and I, <laughs> but I love, I love it. I'm just not very good at it. So I'm not a good, like I can't draw. I always try. Mm. Like I try to draw. I just am not good at it. But I really, 
I love, so I, so that's how I got moved towards like 3D things. Cause it's like, it's not the same for programmers. It just like maps, you know, like if you're yeah. an engineer, you, oh, I can kind of model this, but I can't, I like my, literally my hand can't do it. So I think I'm creative, but only like using technology more than I am. Like <laughs> I couldn't, my wife is an artist and she can paint like amazing portraits and pictures and stuff, but I, I just can't do that. But so for me, like technology is my, it's my canvas, I guess. Yeah. I love that, that space, the, the vector overlay of technology and art. I paint, but there's a, a dramatic difference in the precision associated with the two worlds that I work in. Writing code is very precise, whereas art, it's less precise and it's more in the, in the analysis of the outcome. Well, it's been a great discussion. I'm going to ask one more question. And it it's really, we, we had this discussion really to enlighten folks about vector search and about search within MongoDB and the platform. But we're also talking about an opportunity to join the team. So thinking about that, what skill or quality do you think is most important for someone to have a successful career in tech? Successful career, to, um, it is empathy. Mm. Like youth go into engineer software engineering, like, and mm -hmm. you think my job is to write code, right? But it is <laughs> not. And yes, when you're like a new grad, yes, that is all you do. But you pretty quickly learned nobody really knows what to do. And you basically spend most of your time trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And that is a human thing. Like you basically spend most of your time working with other humans, talking to them, listening to them. They take risks, they get upset, they get excited. And if you, if they don't feel like you can collaborate with them, mm. you're gonna not be successful. But if you're someone people enjoy working with and you can listen to them, I do think let's table stakes. Yeah, you have to understand how to code and whatnot. But if you can listen and you can take feedback and you can help people in their careers, I think that's probably the, the, the most important thing you could do. Mm, that's great. Well, Doug, thanks so much once again. Yep. Thanks so much to Doug for joining us today. And thanks to you, the listeners. If you want to learn more about Vector Search or find out about the engineering opportunities, visit the show notes and check out those links. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.